Today on Audibly Speaking, I want to ask the question, do we now have a radical Supreme Court? This is May 3rd, 2022, and the news has just come out that the Supreme Court is contemplating a ruling overruling Roe v. Wade, which was settled almost 50 years ago in January 1973, when the Supreme Court, by a vote of 7-2, to two, ruled that the Constitution extended the right to privacy to American citizens, and on that basis, the right to an abortion could not be restricted entirely by states and must be permitted within certain limits that were later adjudicated by later Supreme Court decisions. Since 1973, individuals have had the right to an abortion in principle thanks to the Roe v. Wade decision. So that is a very long period of time for a decision to be in place, almost 50 years. And it is almost unprecedented for the Supreme Court to reverse itself on a decision of such long standing. And it also has to be kept in mind that in the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision, in the early 1990s, the court again returned to the question of whether individuals had a right to privacy and a right to abortion in principle. And the court decided that, in fact, it did. So here we have not one, but two precedents of longstanding, which the court is contemplating reversing 2022. It is almost unheard of for the court to do this. And if we examine this case in greater detail, the unprecedented nature of such a decision becomes even more outstanding and stark and, frankly, unbelievable in light of the history of Supreme Court cases. I was trying to think, is there another case where the government or the Supreme Court extended a right to an individual and then 50 years later took that right away. And I could not find in my memory or in my research, historical research, any instance of that happening in American history. Now, it may have happened in uh, cases involving minor issues here and there, but this is quite a major issue involving people's rights to control their own biological destiny, in particular women's rights, to control their biological destiny. So that is an expansive area with an expansive reach by the Supreme Court intervening not only in a woman's right to choose, but also reversing its own decisions, not once, but twice. Now, the, the two most outstanding examples of the Supreme Court reversing itself was both in cases involving the rights of African Americans. The first case, of course, was the outstanding case of Dred Scott, outstanding in the sense of notorious. The Dred Scott decision in 1857 was undoubtedly the worst Supreme Court decision in American history because in that case, the Chief Justice, writing for the majority, said that African Americans were not citizens of the United States 
and had no rights that a white man was bound to respect. And so, in principle, the Dred Scott decision implied that there could be no states in the Union that barred slavery. That was not adjudicated because the Civil War intervened three years later, but one of the reasons for the Civil War was the Dred Scott case. So that's an example of where the court denied a right to African Americans. It didn't extend the right to them and then later take it away. It denied a right to them, which was later restored less than 10 years later in the 14th Amendment, which made it clear that African Americans were citizens of the United States and indeed any natural born person. Any person born in the United States is by constitutional decision, the 14th Amendment, a citizen of the United States. So in that case, you had a 10-year period in between those two decisions, but what you had was a Supreme Court that extended rights 10 years after it restricted rights. So that's the opposite of what we're seeing this year where we have a Supreme Court that's going to take away individual rights. The other major decision where we see the Supreme Court reversing itself is on the issue of Jim Crow and segregation. In 1896, the Supreme Court ruled that segregation of the races by law was constitutional as long as the facilities offered to whites and blacks were equal in quality. And of course, that was the separate but equal decision in 1896. Another notorious decision for a variety of reasons. For First of all, of course, the Supreme Court was effectively making the 14th Amendment a dead letter for African Americans. And uh, it's quite obvious that in practice, Facilities for African Americans, such as schools, uh, public places, and so on, were not going to be equal for the races, and they never were. But as the Supreme Court later acknowledged in the 1950s, when it reversed itself in the famous case of Brown versus Board of Education, 1954, perhaps the greatest Supreme Court decision ever handed down. The court ruled unanimously that Plessy versus Ferguson was wrongly decided and that segregation by law was a violation of the Constitution, a violation of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. So there the court reversed itself. But in doing so, it expanded rights for millions of Americans. It did not go from a situation which is what we have with Roe versus Wade, in which rights were expanded in 1973 and are now in contemplation of being radically restricted. So the only other cases that I can think of that offer anything like a parallel to what the Supreme Court is contemplating today, which I would argue is a radical contemplation, is the cases involving corporations between 1877 and 1886. You have two Supreme Court decisions. One is called Munn versus Illinois, which involved 
state laws, in this case, an Illinois law, where the state legislature was regulating uh, storage price rates for railroads in Illinois in 1877. In that decision, the Supreme Court ruled that states do have the right to regulate railroads that are otherwise interstate commerce if the thing that's being regulated has a public purpose. And so the court allowed for regulation of corporations and denied that corporations were legal persons and therefore protected from state regulation by the 14th Amendment, which says that there can be no seizure of property from a person without due process of law. If you define corporations as legal persons, then that implies that the 14th Amendment can protect corporations from government regulation. Now, that's quite a stretch, but what you see with Munn versus Illinois was a situation where the Supreme Court denied that the 14th Amendment applied and gave Illinois the go-ahead to tax the railroads. Then, in 1886, the court reversed itself in the famous Wabash decision when the court ruled that because of the Commerce Clause of the Constitution, states crossed state lines and therefore could not be regulated by states. They could only be regulated by the federal government. And so the Wabash decision declared null and void all state laws, including the Illinois law of 1877, that had been ratified by the Supreme Court in 1877 that regulated railroad rates. So railroads were protected from state regulation thanks to the Wabash decision. So now that's not extending a right to an individual. That is extending rights to a corporation and in fact damaging the rights of individuals, that is the rights of farmers who ship their crops to market on the railroads, and they could no longer look to their states for regulatory protection from excessively high railroad shipping rates, thanks to the Wabash decision, which took away the rights of those farmers by utilizing the Commerce Clause, as I just described. Now, as a result of the Wabash decision in 1886, the federal government stepped in the next year, and passed the Interstate Commerce Act, which was the very first law in American history in which Congress intervened in the national economy in a regulatory fashion, in a major way. And in the Interstate Commerce Law, Congress declared that it had the right to regulate railroad rates since The Supreme Court said that the states could not do that since they were internet, since railroads were interstate commerce, but the federal government could. That was the implication of the Wabash decision. So it seemed that the way was clear to help the farmers get relief from excessive railroad rates to the extent that railroad rates were indeed excessive by looking to the Congress and the national government for regulatory relief. And it seemed, by all 
appearances that the Supreme Court would let that go because it had implied that the problem with the Wabash case was that the states did not have the right to regulate railroads because they represented interstate commerce. Well, that wasn't a problem with the Interstate Commerce Act because it was a federal law. But nonetheless, in 1895, the Supreme Court once again took away these rights when it ruled that not even the national government has the right to regulate railroad rates, not because of the Commerce Clause, but because of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. So here we see an incredible irony in that an amendment, a constitutional amendment that was ratified to help spread freedom and equality for individuals, particularly African-American individuals, was now being used to protect the interests of gigantic corporations by saying that because these corporations were legal persons, they could not be taxed, which would be denying them property without due process of law. The 14th Amendment, of course, saying that no person can be denied life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Well, if a corporation is a legal person, then that was the cover that the Supreme Court used to protect the, the corporations, in this case railroads, from federal regulation. So that was a, an extreme stretch in which the government was extending rights to corporations, but by implication taking rights away from individual farmers who now could not look to the states nor to the national government for assistance in regulating the rates that these giant corporations charged. So in that roundabout way, we sort of see a parallel between what is going on now with the Supreme Court in Roe versus Wade. In that case, that is, in the 19th century, we see the Supreme Court extending rights by implication to farmers in 1877, uh, and then taking them away in 1895 in the maximum freight rate case when Congress tried to intervene. But that, I think, is a bit of a stretch because what we're talking about when we talk about the regulation of railroad rates is the economics of American law. We're talking about economic regulation, which is very important, but it doesn't extend to people's ability to control their own personal decisions vis-a-vis -vis their body, which seems to be more in line with the kind of decision we see in Dred Scott and then later in the 14th Amendment in 1867. However, of course, that was a flip-flop of what we see now, because when we looked at Dred Scott, we saw the Supreme Court taking rights away from individuals or denying rights to individuals, African-Americans. And then in 1867, 
we see them expanding rights. And that's been the usual trend in American history towards ever more expansive rights. So this is why the Supreme Court is acting as a radical institution of the government. We've never quite seen what is being contemplated by the Supreme Court before in American history. On an economic regulatory level, we've seen it once in the case of the regulation of railroad rates, but that is a fine point compared to the rights of the individual, which have never been restricted by Supreme Court action until now. And when we look at another case in which the Supreme Court dealt with individual rights, I would say we could look to Worcester versus Georgia in 1832, when the Supreme Court ruled that Native Americans were immune from being regulated by the state governments because they were essentially foreign nations to be dealt with only by the national government in the form of treaties. So in that 1832 case, the court was again expanding rights, in this case, rights considered to be rights of Native Americans. So we don't have a precedent for what the court is contemplating. It's radical on two grounds. First of all, there's not just one precedent of 50 years upholding Roe versus Wade, but in 1993, in the Casey v. Planned Parenthood case, we see that the court again ratified and confirmed the Roe decision. So we have two precedents that are being reversed in 2022. And secondly, we have a court that is taking away rights that the court extended almost 50 years ago. One final point that I would like to make is that the court has always been extremely concerned with not wading in to controversial cases unless the justices are united. Chief Justice Earl Warren worked very hard to ensure in 1954 that when he got the Brown versus Board of Education decision, it was unanimous. And even with a unanimous decision extending rights that had been wrongly taken away in 1896 in Plessy versus Ferguson, the South was up in arms against the decision. Imagine if Warren had only gotten his victory on segregation in 1954 by a 5-4 to four decision. It would have been a disaster for the country. Well, that's where we are now with Roe versus Wade in 2022. The Supreme Court, which I'm arguing has become radical in its actions, is now contemplating taking away the rights of 110 million women by a 5-4 to four decision. That is truly a disaster. And that is truly a radical action by the Supreme Court. So it's very important that people understand that setting. If the American people are fine with this unprecedented seizure of rights, if the American people are fine with this unprecedented restriction of rights that the Supreme Court recognized itself, 
then the, at least the American people need to know that this has never been done in quite the way it's contemplated this year. And I think this is a very important point for people to understand as we see what the Supreme Court ends up doing in the famous case of Roe versus Wade. We won't have long to wait. We'll find out in a few weeks in June, in all likelihood, of 2022, just about four, five, or six weeks from now. Thanks for listening.